Hey, Mountain, how's everybody? You doing okay? Good. Let's say hello to everybody at all the campuses over at Edgewood, Abingdon, Aberdeen, Mountain Road. Lots of friends online. Glad everybody's with us. Thanks for, for joining in. I think it's going to be a profitable time. I want to let you know that uh, next week, give a little heads up, we're beginning a new series. Uh, around here, every so often, we do something called You Asked For It. And the questions that are, have come in that we're going to be trying to address are around the theme of God and sexuality. It's kind of a sensitive topic, obviously. It's kind of a little heads up to parents. Um, it's a great opportunity if your kids are not already experiencing all the amazing stuff in our Mountain Kids ministry. It's a good time for them to experience that. And um, if you've got middle schoolers, high schoolers with you, you need to be prepared for the follow-up conversations that you'll undoubtedly want to have. So that's a tip off for next week. Um, when my friend Brent was about nine or 10 years old, he went with his parents to Kenya on a mission trip. And at one point, this guide was leading them around and then stopped right as they were getting ready to walk through this big open field with waist-high grass. And the guide said, um, okay, wait a second here. I need you to follow directly behind me. The, the cobras love this high grass, and they're all over in here. And the, every year, some of the villagers kind of get reckless, and they run around in here, and they die because they step on a cobra. So I need you just to kind of follow me, that little kid. He was really listening at that point. And he said later, as an adult, I remember that moment, and he said, I did exactly that. When he took a step, I stepped exactly in his footprint he'd left behind. And when he went left, I went left. When he went right, I went right. When he stopped, I stopped. When he went, I went because that big open field filled with scary cobras put that kid in a precarious situation. What did he need? He needed a guide. And isn't that exactly what every kid needs today? As you look at all of what's open in the fields of growing up in the world in which we live, it's always been this way, not just in times in which we live. A child isn't meant to be sent into the field to figure it out on their own. They're meant, by the way, God designed us to be guided. And what that child needed, every child needs uh, some help knowing which way to go, how to walk, whether to go left or right, when to start, when to stop and how to navigate life. And without some help, without some wisdom, they simply don't possess on their own. Kids don't do so well. Some of them don't make it. And so we've been mining this amazing book tucked in the center of our Bibles called Proverbs, which is really written exactly about all this. It's written for a young audience, like listen up, young person. Here's how you navigate life. And we've been kind of just plucking and clutching at some of the themes from there. And over several weeks now, we've learned a lot about how to, how, why the influences through friends in our life are so important, how to pick and choose and, and maintain good friendships. We, we've, we've talked about um, everything from how to control our anger, to get our gossip under control, to, to use our words properly, to avoid being lazy, to tame our temptations, to, to develop self-control and handle our pride and handle our money and so many other things like that. And today we simply want to talk about what the wisdom of Proverbs can teach all of us about guiding a child in the way they should go. Parenting, really. Because just like that kid needed to follow a guide, 
Every kid today needs a guide as well, from the tiniest tot to the toughest teenager, right? Just the way it is. And parents, we've got some parents listening. That's your number one job. It's your calling. It's your ministry. It's your, your calling. Parental guidance suggested. In fact, parental guidance required, right? Because kids don't know what they don't know. The Bible calls it foolishness, and it's not very flattering to say that, but it's what kids are at, at just not fault of their own. They, they just have a kind of selfish or orientation that leads them to, to just don't know. So they're going to step on some snakes. And some of those snakes can be very, very injurious to their life path. So this is a message for more than just parents. Um, it's really for teachers and those coaches and neighbors and godparents and grandparents and uncles and aunts and anyone who's invested in shaping the life of a child. It's for those difference makers who sign up at one of our campuses to show up and hold a baby, change a diaper, pass out goldfish and read a Bible story and help every single week. It's for all those surrogate people who know it really does take a village to raise a child and all of us are either one of the children or we're in the village. So let's dive into some of the wisdom of Proverbs about the parental guidance that is suggested. And as we do, we have to also just acknowledge some things. Whenever we start talking about parenting, there's a few topics, if I bring it up, everyone always just feels guilty all the time. Like if I say, hey, let's talk about your prayer life. Everyone's like, oh, great. You know, very few people are like, I wanna talk about that right now. Another one is parenting because almost all parents feel at the same time, like this is really important and I wanna be a good parent. And most of us also feel like, gosh, I'm exhausted, I'm guilt-ridden. I feel like I've got so many holes that need to be plugged. I, I feel like I'm not doing a great job and it's all gonna turn out bad. You know, we're just past that time when all these parents went through that horrible ritual of sending their kid out the door to kindergarten, out the door to middle school, out the door to college. And we're all thinking, where was I? I didn't do anything. I, I've not given them what they need. You know, we all feel that. And so we need to acknowledge that, that, that that's just the reality of, of just kind of recognizing how important it is. That there's maybe nothing more important than shaping the future of the world and the planet through shaping the future of a child. I'm a parent myself. I come at this fully aware of all those feelings of inadequacy. I'm, I'm sympathetic to it. We have three kids, a lot of you know, Nathan, Andrew, and Ellie. And, um, you know, we've been through all those stages when they were little pipsqueaks and then bigger pipsqueaks. And now, what do you, I don't know, adult pipsqueaks, <laughs> I guess. But no, not, not pipsqueaks at all, but these mature, wonderful people that uh, continue to learn from so much. And appreciate and love. I remember, I remember though, one Easter, just I don't know why this popped into my mind. I remember one Easter, I, I always trying to make things fun, you know. It's like, let's make, make it fun, you know. So I thought we were going to have this Easter egg thing. And I thought for some reason it would be a good idea to, to, to make it into a scavenger hunt. So the eggs were all over the yard in different places in these little baskets. But it was like you had to figure out the clues and go over here and over there. And then I thought, I know, we'll make it a game. And I tied them all together, like around their legs and their arms. And then big webbing around them so they're like literally tied together. That would be really fun. I thought they'll learn teamwork. It'll be a great experiment. They'll come back and say, Dad, that was amazing. And I just thought it would be great. Well... Yeah, no, no, it, not, not, it, was, it was a horrible idea. And because immediately Nathan 
thought the clue meant he was gonna go to the, to the mailbox. And so he starts dragging the other two who did not want to go there. Ellie did not want to go. She's getting dragged through the grass, grass stains and been twisted and torn and her arm is hurting. And then there's a bee. So she's freaking out, wants to go that way. And Nathan's going that way. And Andrew, the typical middle child, just like whatever, getting pulled in all directions. And they came back in, there's tears, there's screaming, there's crying, there's anger. They, they would have hit each other if they weren't bound up, you know. And isn't that typical? Because every parent is just like, yep, whether it's dinner time, bedtime, bath time, doesn't matter what it is, family time, prayer time, meal time, whatever. Something, you know, you, half the time you don't know what to do. And if you have an idea, it usually turns out to be a dumb one or it doesn't work. And Proverbs is written for the real world like that. It's written for crumbs all over the floor of your minivan kind of parents who are exhausted and guilt-ridden and regret-prone, who want to do a good job, who don't always know how to do a good job. The data says, uh, Joel Arms, who heads up our, all of our kids' ministry um, here at, at Mountain at all of our campuses, a fantastic ministry. We're going to talk more about it. But, I mean, it's just an amazing ministry. And he handed me this research that said, you know, parents really do want to do a good job parenting. And they consider it one of life's highest priorities. But they don't always know what or how to do it. If only there was some book of ancient wisdom written right to kids about how to navigate life. Well, there is. And we're ending our series by diving into the parental guidance suggested part of Proverbs to say, how is it that we can guide our kids through life? What kind of parental guidance does the Bible suggest to raise kids who truly turn out to be Good kids, wise kids, adjusted kids, mature kids, kind kids, generous kids, thoughtful kids, selfless instead of selfish. How how does that happen? Well, the Bible wants to give a big fat answer that says, not by accident, parental guidance suggested. Let's dive into just a couple things we can maybe hang our hat on. The first thing we see is that our first priority in scripture is, is to guide them to the Lord. Like this is priority one. Like everything else that we think is so important about parenting is somewhere down the list from this one thing. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, number one priority is to guide them to the Lord. Now it's easier said than done and there's no automatics and ultimately a child has to choose and say yes to a loving relationship with God on their own. No one sort of forces Force feeds faith. So how do we wisely guide someone? Proverbs 22, 6 says, direct your children. It doesn't say push, you know. It says train up a child or direct your children onto the right path, a path that's well-worn, that has some steps they can follow. And when they're older, the chances are, by and large, those are the kids that stay in that path, is what it's saying. There's no guarantees here in Proverbs. But it's saying the best shot you have is directing them onto the right path. Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. Aim your kids to the Lord. It's why we bring them to church. It's why we connect them up with student ministries. It's why we pray at every meal. It's why we talk about that thing we just saw in that commercial. So they... They don't grow up in a world shorn of God, but a world infused with God. And they're not going to get that on TikTok. They're going to get it from you if they get it at all. 
And so we guide them to the Lord. Now, traditional parenting in a sort of generation before, it was sort of very focused on control, you know? Anybody relate to that? Anybody have a parent whose job, they thought their number one job was control? Yeah, that's a... Some of you are like, I'm afraid to raise my hand because I don't know what my parents would think, so you're not going to raise it. But I, I, I know that's a big deal for a lot of us. Modern parenting tends to have the main thing be about affirmation, like just affirm them, let them know they're special and wonderful. And the Proverbs and the rest of the Bible really says it's way, the purpose of parenting is way more important than either of those. And that is to make your children wise so they won't be fools. So they'll be on the right path, not to control them or affirm them, but to prepare them for life, teach them, instruct them. This is the counsel toward parents. Guide them through the cobra field of life on the right path. And the best way to do that is get them connected to God. With saying whatever else you do for your sake, your kid's sake, God's sake, the world's sake, the best thing you can do is help them be drawn, attracted, and one to the warm, winsome drawing love of God and to simply say well you know I'm going to let my kid make up their mind on that is about the dumbest thing I hear parents say all the time as if we do that when it comes to school oh darling you don't want to go to school I wouldn't want you to hate school so I guess you'll be done going to school no we wouldn't do that because we know it's important and we understand in certain moments that whether you want to brush your teeth or eat your vegetables or or stay out of the road or go to school that that there are times when a parent just has to to step up and step in and not let a child make up their own mind and the number one thing of any parent should be to help guide them to the Lord your job is not control, not affirmation, it's instruction. So train up a child in the way they should go. And to do less than that is parental malpractice. Proverbs doesn't buy into, isn't convinced by modern ideology that is into permissive parenting that assumes the little darlings are basically good and we just need to kind of giggle at them and pat them on the bottom. That's child abuse according to Proverbs. We'll get to that. That word, train up a child, is a word that's used three times in the Hebrew Bible, and what it means in every instance is sort of dedicate the thing. It's used like what you would do to dedicate a home or a temple, meaning this thing has a purpose to it, and we're going to be very intentional about how we go about this. And it says that's what we're supposed to do with our kids, like shepherd their hearts, toward, dedicate them toward the goodness of God and God's way. So parents that live in a world where we're so busy that sometimes we're unintentionally absent or hoping screens will somehow parent our children for us. We've got to remember that our kids are wet cement. Some wetter and more moldable and shapeable than others. And the older they get, maybe the, the less easy it is to make an imprint. But what we want is for them to know and love and trust and obey God. Which means you're going to put them on a path and talk and teach about why selfishness is is not a helpful way to act in this family. Why aggressiveness needs to be addressed and isn't appropriate. 
why acts of unkindness don't fly around here, why forgiveness needs to happen, why saying I'm sorry and expressing gratitude and praying about everything and marveling at nature and serving others and being generous and thinking the world isn't all about you are things that we help our kids get because if we don't, they're not gonna get it automatically. When you guide your kids to the Lord, they get all that stuff if they really know the Lord. And these are the things the surveys say that all parents want. Is, you know, the same study that Joel handed to me, he said 95% of parents put almost like number one, one of the number one things they want, they want good mental health, they want opportunities for their kids, and they want character development. And when you press into character development, the list that comes up, you know what it is? Here's what parents want for their kids. See if it doesn't fit your, your description. They want their kids to know about honesty and to demonstrate trust, love, faith, compassion, and respect. They want their kids to be able to have responsibility, self-control, wisdom, kindness, commitment, and integrity. In other words, the best thing you can do for your kid is what? Guide them to the Lord. Guide them to the Lord. Passing the baton of faith. So this is just really um, maybe an important priority check for all of us who care so much for our kids. You know, We're trying to do all this great stuff for them. As we should. But if you teach your kids good manners and how to meet someone and shake their hand and look them in the eye and how to bake bread and play the violin and you go to club volleyball and swim lessons and tennis lessons and football practice and sign up for the debate team and go to scouts and tutor them in mass so they can get into the good school and give them a phone, take them to camp, do all this stuff, ride a horse, handle their money, whatever, whatever else, those are all good things. But if at the end of the day, when they stand before the Lord, and he has to say, I didn't know you. How important will any of those things seem to be? So the question is, are we doing all we can to guide them to the Lord, to show that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? As, the, as Jesus would say it, what good does it profit a person to gain the whole world and lose your soul? What good does it profit a child to learn how to ski and have the most amazing vacations and straight teeth and go to the best schools if the ones entrusted over their care didn't do all they could to put them in a path to guide them to the Lord. Everybody with me so far? Proverbs is nothing light, is it? It's heavy, it's important. Number two, the thing that the Proverbs tells us is, is to guide them with love. Guide them with love. You know, when we parent a kid, we're really just mirroring the parental love of God to us. Did you ever think of that? That's where all parenting begins. And in fact, all through the Bible, God is compared to a loving mother or father. Very often that father image is so powerful and, you know, it just comes through so strongly. But the idea is that God doesn't love us with rules. A lot of people have made Christianity and Christian faith to be that. It's never been about that. It's about a relationship of love where we're wooed and won by the amazing, sacrificial, unconditional love of God through Christ. And so Proverbs says things like this. 2326 says, Oh, my child, give me your heart. This is a parent talking to a child. Give me your heart. May your eyes take delight in following my ways. That's the goal of parenting. Not a child that conforms to some external behavior or your rules so you can remain in control. The goal 
isn't that? It's that the child would give you their heart, isn't it? Some of you have relationships with your kids or your parents. And you've given each other your heart. Doesn't mean you get along every moment, but your eyes light up with each other. This, this is why the command and control, hyper-authoritative approach to parenting will fail ultimately. Because even if you get compliance, often you don't get the heart. Outward conformity to rules and still lose the heart. And the only way you get the heart is through genuine love, mirrored after the love that God gives us. That's the only way. And this is why permissive parenting at the end runs empty as well. Because permissive parenting thinks that the goal is merely to affirm and encourage and never set any boundaries or correction or, or you know, it creates a situation where the child can't respect the parent because there's no backbone or strength there, no boundaries, no, no guide. And they think they're alone. God never does that for us. Nor should we do it for our kids. So love your kids. Guide them with, with love. And think of how God loves us. There's a child development expert that did a study of people who grew up to be what he judged by some objective standards, healthy, well-adjusted adults. He wanted to know what were the contributing factors, and he did this massive survey. And you know what he found, unsurprisingly, they all had in common? They had at least one parent that, he used the words, loved them irrationally. Like, was so for them that nothing would change it. Like, unconditionally, radically. His theory is that every human would want to become what God intends us to be, which is someone who grows and matures and stands on stable ground that is only built by knowing somebody loves you irrationally. And to point one, we want our children to know that about God. Well, point two reminds us the best way they'll ever learn that is when they experience that kind of love from you. Love your kids irrationally. Give me your heart. Give me your heart. Psalm 27.10 says, Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. It's a reminder that all of us long to be received by a father or mother figure in an amazing, unconditional love way. And for those who can say, I, I don't have that on earth for my earthly parents, it's a reminder that God steps in and holds you and loves you. And that's also the model for every parent to love our kids, to give appropriate hugs and touches every day. And when they get to middle school and they shrug and push away and make faces and sounds, keep doing it. And don't let them wiggle out of that hug. You still go sit on the bed with them, snuggle on the couch and grab them in the kitchen. They may roll their eyes, but whatever they're saying on the outside, they need to know on the inside there's someone who's irrationally committed to me. Pour massive amounts of love on your kids. You can't overdo it. Don't worry about spoiling them with love. Earthly parents are meant to be a signal of God's love. We need it today as adults. God provides it for you. Parents are meant to provide it for our kids. So we guide them to the, say it with me, guide them to the Lord. Hello. We guide them to the Guide them to the Lord. And then second, what do we do? We 
guide them with our love. Third, we, we guide them with limits. Now, this is counterintuitive to a society that believes that limits are bad, that freedom is defined by just doing whatever I want, and so we have a hard time telling our children not to do whatever they want. But it's hugely important. Listen to the wisdom of Proverbs. 22 verse 15 says, you know what? Young people are prone to foolishness and fads. What's the cure? Well, it comes through tough-minded discipline. An adult who's mature is someone who is able to administer self-discipline. Well, how would they ever learn to discipline themselves? Well, they learn that from a guide, a parent, who helps them through external discipline. Kids who are unsupervised on automatic pilot, how does that work for you at home? You know, your kids are ages four and six, and you're just going to leave them home for, I don't know, six days. How would that go? How about six hours? What about six minutes? It's a bad idea. What do kids need? Tough-minded discipline. So I just want to remind us and encourage us. I'm going to say a lot of the same things over and over because someone needs to hear all this. So let me just, let me go on my tirade here. Parenting isn't for cowards. And the scriptures remind us it, it, it takes boundaries and limits and lines. You have to say no, especially when kids are younger. You have to establish loving authority and let the little darlings know who's in charge because that's what they actually need. It isn't cruel. It's not mean. Your job isn't to be their friend. You want to be their friend when they're 24? Be their parent before that. Try to be their friend when they're 14, mostly, and that's your main goal, or when they're seven, and you'll have a hard relationship with your kids when they're older. Your job is to prevent them from getting destroyed by the cobras of life. So you need to exercise discipline on their behalf so they can one day exercise self-discipline. Discipline and discipleship are related. They come from the very same word. So if you want your kid to grow up going their own way, don't ever set limits. No boundaries, no limits, no consequences. But if you want them to know Jesus, follow him, and have the narrow, better path part of something they've practiced then you've got to lead them there. There is no discipleship without discipline. And parents, your job is to disciple your kid, to lead them to Christ and to grow in Christ. So we're talking about stepping in off the sidelines, doing more than making a polite request for a child or petitioning or begging them or asking the same thing seven times or raising our voice when they finally learn after we raise our voice that then they might have to pay attention. No, we're, we're to parent, which means we've got to show them some limits and set some consequences and then find the courage to enforce them. The greatest harm any of us can do to ourselves and others is to seek a world without limits, with no authority. Kids need a parent who's in charge, who will care enough and love enough to set firm limits. Now, let me continue on this because I know that today we worry a lot about that word discipline. And we just need to be clear um, that I think this is because there are some people who have horribly abused children in reprehensible ways through all kinds of physical and emotional damage. They've really wounded, hurt, and in some cases, beaten them. 
And that's not discipline at all. That's an immature adult powering up on a child. It doesn't disciple them in the ways of God at all. That's not what we're talking about. Proper discipline, as the Bible encourages, never harms a child. It's always loving, and it's never about you. This is one of the things I always struggle with so much. Sometimes I felt more in the mood to discipline when I was so angry or I felt like they had offended me or I was going to teach them a lesson. And that's never the right time, really, to discipline. I had to step back so they could think about it, but mostly so I could think about it. When you're frustrated or embarrassed in public and you want to put on a show to everyone about what a good parent you are, that's not, that's not real discipline. When you're at a picnic or a playground and you're just exhausted and they just keep acting up and won't stop and in exasperation you yell at them or put them in time out just to get them off your back. That's not discipline, not according to the Bible. Those are things that every parent has done, myself so many times. But it's still worth listening to the high call of what discipline and discipleship is to help our kids grow toward the kind of person they won't be if left to their own devices. So it's always a selfless act of love and shaping their heart toward the love of God. Always. That's what discipline is. Proverbs 29, 15 says, To discipline a child produces wisdom, but a mother disgraced, a mother is disgraced by an undisciplined child. You hear that? A child can't get wisdom without discipline. Some parents today are so worried about hurting their kids' fragile little egos or believe that their little angels can do no wrong. This is why it's horrible being a teacher today because parents always take the side of the kids. How did that happen? But it does. They think their job is to let their kids explore the world without guidance. That doesn't help a child at all. It leaves them foolish and the disgrace is upon the parents, the Bible says. Exercising discipline is not going to ruin or damage your child. The Bible says the opposite is true. To fail to exercise discipline is, is, is tantamount to malpractice and child abuse. Proverbs 19.18 says, Discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, listen, you will ruin their lives. It doesn't say they might go ruin their lives. It says that's on you. If your child never learns limits and know and opportunities to, to have something difficult overcome in their life, that's on you because that's your job as a parent. Help our kids see the ways of God. If your kid is cruel, they've got to learn that's not okay or they will grow up to be cruel even if they don't like it when you punish them for being cruel. That short-term pain for them, having to go to their room, not being able to use their phone, is better than the long-term pain of growing up in a world where they just think being cruel works, isn't it? So when your kid cheats and lies and we just think it's cute or never correct them, don't put a limit on it and say, we don't talk that way. You don't talk that way to your mama. What do we need to do? We don't lie. We don't cheat. And we, when we don't put consequences and we don't be consistent with it, we've taught our child to continue to do all those things. Now, I'm a sucker for kids. I'll tell you what. I look at, when I meet your kid out here, you know, in the comments, I, I think every one of them is adorable. And I just want to grab them and hug them and love them. And I know you're, some, some of you are rolling your eyes like, well, yeah, he's an angel here, but he's a demon in the car. And I understand that. And we all need to understand that, that kids, kids have a sin nature, and we all see it. They turn about two, and these beautiful, beautiful little angels become like, oh, where'd that come from? Suddenly he's biting and stealing and stomping on people. 
And that's when parenting happens, not in pre-planned instructional periods from 9 to 9.50, and then the bell rings. No, it happens in spontaneous moments when you're trying to get out the door or get in bed. When one of our little boys was little, he really wanted to go to a friend's birthday party, and we had plans for him to go. But um, our little kid, was he's a good kid, but I, I wish I could remember the details. I don't. He disobeyed his mother. And mom, Carla, said, if you do that again, you won't be going to that birthday party. Do you understand that? He said, yeah. And guess what he did? He did the same exact thing, disobedient again. And I don't know if he forgot or he just didn't think she would enforce what she had said. And you know what happened? It was a huge test for us because we so wanted him to go to that party. I hated that. I hated that. What are we going to do? Well, maybe we should just um, say one more time, and I mean it. Or maybe we should trade consequences or something. But by God's grace and Carla's leadership, we pulled on our big boy pants and we said, Nathan, we explained to you that if you disobeyed again, you would lose that privilege of going to that birthday party. Shock came over his face. Tears came into his eyes. It hurt but it didn't harm. Do you know the difference? It had to hurt or it wouldn't work, but it didn't harm. It did no damage. In fact, it loved him. Discipline never harms a child. It may hurt. In fact, it should hurt in the short term, but that pain will go away and in its place, it will help in the long term. Proverbs 13, 24 makes it even a little more complicated. It's going to throw this in here to stir things up. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. We freak out about that word rod there. We imagine people in the ancient world just sort of pummeling their children with big sticks. It really is a symbol of authority. And think of it more like a shepherd's crook. Might have to knock a sheep on the head one time to keep it away from the wolf or whatever. But you just knock it one time. All you got to do is have that stick in your hand after that. And whether you use the fleshy part of a kid's anatomy that God seemed to design for this sort of thing or a stern word, Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way that they should go. A lot of people think that really means like according to their bent, like you got to know your kid, like don't bring a hammer when a feather will do. And there's a lot of really great parenting that never has to use an actual rod, but uses the rod of loving authority and discipline, but never in anger never because you're embarrassed, never because it's about you or your child is inconveniencing you or you're just too tired and frustrated and exhausted and you're gonna take it out on them, but always because you love that child, you wanna disciple them, you wanna help them become what they will never be. So you go through the pain of your own sort of trying to muster up consistency and courage to administer consequences and let your kids experience the beautiful fruit of discipline. One of the most tender moments I had with my kids always was when they were little and in teen years, they were around times of discipline. I remember one in particular with one of my sons. I don't remember the incident. I remember the moment afterwards, the time of discipline. Called him by name, went into the bedroom so we were private, so it wasn't in front of everybody. No shaming going on. That's not the point. But just say, hey, buddy, what just happened there? 
And as he had to explain what he did, it all became real to him, like, oh my goodness. And I asked him, well, what did you think would happen? And he said, I don't know, I wasn't thinking. And I said, what should I do now? And he said, oh, I don't know, nothing. I said, well, what do you need to say to me for disobeying me in that way? And he said, sorry. And I said, yeah, can you look me in the eye and say it? I want the heart of my child. Just like I want to be able to say that to my heavenly father when I disobey him. I don't want to say some rote prayer as if I'm checking a list and I got forgiven. I want to, I want to talk to the Lord of hosts and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. If I want my child to grow into that kind of person, I want to do this right now with my six-year-old. Can you look me in the eye? And tell me you're sorry. And then the tears started to come from both of us. Because now all of a sudden that rebellious heart softened and opened. And we were connecting in a way where I was no longer disciplining. I was discipling my son. And I was able to hear him say I'm sorry. Not just a shrug. Not just a passive. But a, but a sort of tender moment. And then I said thank you. And what am I going to say to you right now? He said that you forgive me as if he couldn't hardly believe it this time. And I said, that's right, I forgive you. And then what am I going to say? That you love me? You're right. I love you, buddy. And then we stay in that moment long enough until the smiles come and the tears dry, whether I have to tickle or whatever it needs to be, to get back to reconciliation and restoration, which is the purpose of all discipline, to get back to a place of wholeness. So, parents, guidance is suggested. Guide them to the Lord. Guide them with your love. Guide them with limits. And let me just leave you with this thought to sort of plant in our minds. Guide them with your life. Guide them with your own life. We all know that life is learned from example. It's more caught than taught. It's the examples around us more than anything else. As you choose the habits of your life and your daily rhythms and your family, those shape you and then your kids become you. So we need the wisdom of Proverbs. All of the shaping doesn't just happen in mountain kids. And I hope you bring your kids every week. They're going to get so much good. But you add up all those hours, and it's way fewer hours than you or others in your family have with them. So as we wake up and talk at dinner and send people out the door or give hugs at the end of the day or take away computer games or talk about that movie we just watched or how we behave when we hurt each other or how we handle our anger, all these things aren't just rules we make for our kids. They're, they're ways that we guide them with our own lives. The most important factor in shaping your child is your own life. And that horrifies us because none of us feel like anything but a hypocrite all the time, right? Like we don't measure up to our own standards, let alone what we'd hope our kids would see, but letting them see even your failure and how you live up to that, especially as our kids got older. It was very good for them to hear, hey, I'm really sorry, mom and dad messed up on that one. That's okay too. The best thing you can do for your kids to really love them is to really love God yourself. The best thing you can do for your child is to surrender to the Lord so he can help keep growing you into the best version of yourself. And can I just suggest 
in the words of Justin Early, that parenting your children is not just about what you're doing in their lives. It's so much about what God is doing in your life, isn't it? Sometimes the best thing we can do is think less about what we need to be doing as parents for our kids and think about in this moment, what is our Heavenly Father doing to shape us? And let me just hasten to add before we pray, there's probably some folk listening to me who are in the wonderful place of parent and you might be great parents in every measurable way, but when we talked about giving them guidance to the Lord or when we talk about how your life is going you're not maybe able to help your kids in that way because you yourself have not yet just decided you're going to put the Lord first and I want to just invite you today to say Lord I I want to be the best parent I can be and maybe that's your best motivation to say to our Heavenly Father I want to become fully your child who follows exactly in your steps and goes left when you go left and right when you go right. Stops when you say stop and go wherever you say go by giving your whole life to the Lord Jesus. And if that's you today, at all of our campuses online, I just invite you to make that declaration to the Lord. Come talk to one of our prayer partners and let God start parenting you. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful and thankful for the beautiful um, invitation to be parented by you. This is a hard and heavy and big message, God. Uh, Parenting involves all of us. We're thinking about the bad parenting that was done to us, and we're thinking about the good parenting done to us. We're thinking about all the holes we leave as parents and and just the uh, the daunting nature of all of this, God. But we just want to pause and say thank you, first of all, for parenting us in a perfect way. And now will you help empower and encourage and strengthen every parent and difference maker in a kid's life? Will you help them, Lord? Will you help them know how it is that they can, can lead kids to the Lord and, and do it with their own life and through their love and their limits and then plug all the holes that we leave behind with your grace so that all of us might be able to make you proud as your kids. Pray this in the name of Jesus.